0: Welcome in, everyone, to this week's episode of the Buncombe Street United Methodist Church podcast. My name is Chris Ashley, and I'm the Director of Congregational Engagement here at our church and the host of this podcast each and every week. If you're just joining us, we are in week four of our Letters to the Churches series. We're actually only on letter three, uh, and that's because we did a intro uh, episode to begin the series. So this series is covering the the book of Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Chapter 1 was week 1, uh, covering kind of the intro stuff. And then the letters to the churches, to the seven churches, can be found in chapters 2 and 3. So we're on our third letter this week, the letter to the church in Pergamum. And that can be found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. So let me start off our time today by reading that passage starting in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put stumbling block, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. That is the letter to the church in Pergamum, there. Again, Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. So each and every week, we ask the same couple of questions about these letters to learn what we can glean as a church here in 2022, both as uh, individual believers, as our local church, Buncombe Street United Methodist Church, and as kind of like the global church, um, if you will. So the first question we always ask is, what are they doing right? What does this letter say that the church in Pergamum is doing right? Right. And I notice a couple of things. First off, I notice that they're keeping faith despite their surroundings. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny the faith. That's a uh, saying that where they are is where Satan's throne is. Is quite the uh, descriptor <laughs> here in this letter of Pergamum. So we've talked uh, about the last two cities, about Ephesus and Smyrna, and how both of them were kind of these bigger metropolitan cities. Pergamum is not necessarily uh, a commercial hub, but it is a place where at one point they had the second largest library in the world right behind Alexandria. So it's a it's a place that has a lot of culture. There's also some temples there, but there's this this permeated uh, paganism that is happening in a Pergamum so the Christian sect the little the little church here in Pergamum is really just a small fraction of people they are very much in the minority here and so they are surrounded constantly by outside influences and outside culture that does not align necessarily with their values and their beliefs and so, they live in the midst of this where everything is telling them to think differently and to behave differently. And yet they've managed to remain obedient to God's word and remain obedient to their faith um, in the midst of this. And so that's one thing that the, the writer says these letters are from from the Lord to them. So one thing he's saying is you guys are doing good with, with maintaining that. And the other thing that I think that could easily be missed here is that, like, they've done a good job of overcoming fear of persecution. So there's a little line in here that, you know, you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you. So Antipas here is a martyr. We don't know a ton about Antipas, but we do think there are some scholars that believe that Antipas was actually the pastor of this church. And so he was killed for the faith. He was killed as a martyr. And yet these people still maintain their faith. I can't imagine um, being in a situation where the leader of your community, the leader of your church was killed because of that position. And yet you stay, you stay faithful to meeting together and trying to live out the values and the beliefs you have in the midst of that, right? Because there's probably a level, certain level of fear there that, well, I could be next and yet they have remained faithful. So those are some things they're doing right. And it seems like, you know, those are, those are to be commended. They're, they're really staying strong in the midst of there. Now, what are they doing wrong? Well, he says, I have a few things against you. You have, you hold, you have some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before Israel so they can eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. And you have some that hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now you'll remember we heard about the Nicolaitans uh, back in the letter to the church to Ephesus. We don't know a ton about the Nicolaitans, um, but this passage kind of links them to the teachings of Balaam. And you know, as you read some of this stuff, it might sound familiar, right? They they were tr- they were put in a stumbling block so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. When I hear that, um, I think back to uh, Daniel, to the story of Daniel, where this food was being sacrificed to idols, and they were wanting them uh, to eat this food and um, you know it, it's it 's one of those things where it would be really easy in the midst of culture and like put the food sacrificed to idols aside like put it in our context be really easy to let cultural norms that don 't necessarily align with your beliefs and your values permeate that and say, well, you know, this might not exactly line up with what I believe, but it seems like everybody thinks it's okay. So since it's culturally normal, maybe we'll just try it out. Maybe we'll just make this be a part of our life and feel like this is an okay thing, right? And, you know, I I think that's becoming harder and harder uh, in today's world. But even me growing up in the church, like you know, I, I think like one thing uh, that just stands out in my in my mind is the idea of like um, remaining sexually pure before marriage. Um, there was a thing long, long time ago when I was coming up through youth group called True Love Waits, and I remember it was like you know this purity idea. Um, and even then, even then, when kind of being a Christian and being a part of a church was more culturally normal. That was something that just was different. It was something that definitely went against the grain of the environment that I was in at school and around friends. Um, And so, you know, it wasn't always an easy thing to maintain. And I know that there are people who didn't maintain it despite wanting to. And, you know, no judgment or shame there, but at the same time, like that's where that's why it's so hard to not allow cultural norms, something that everyone else on on the surface would tell you is okay. let that permeate your own personal values and your personal beliefs. And so they're they're letting that happen, right? They're allowing false teaching, moral and religious compromise to, to come into their their lives. To permeate their beliefs and their behaviors, and they're letting the culture of society become the culture of their community. And that's really the biggest issue, right? Like, we, we can't let society dictate what we believe about Jesus. We need to let Jesus dictate what we believe about society. And that's that sounds great. <laughs> it's probably great on a postcard or a bumper sticker or a T-shirt, um, but it's not always the easiest thing to live out. So that's what they've got going on for them. So the third question we're talking about is what instruction were they given? And their instruction is pretty simple. Verse 16, therefore, repent, period. That's all it says. (laughs) Therefore, repent. And then he says, if not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Essentially saying, if you don't repent, listen, there's going to be a war here and you know who wins. You know who wins this war. So don't be on the wrong side of this war. Because if I have to come down and straighten this out, you don't want to be against me. Therefore, repent. Turn and repent. Acknowledge like repent's this this churchy word. Repentance is acknowledging our wrongdoing, acknowledging that we've gone against God in these ways, and then turning a hundred and eighty degrees and trying to go the opposite direction. It's it's Peter. It's Peter stepping out of the boat to walk towards Jesus. And while he's got his eyes on Jesus, he's walking on water. And the second he takes it, the second he diverts his eyes, he starts to sink, right? Repent and put our focus where it should be. Question number four What then is promised to them? This is the Nike, right? The, the one who conquers, the victor. He says, To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now, you remember manna back in uh, the Old Testament when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they, they didn't have food and they would wake up each morning and there would be manna, this bread-like food um, that had come from heaven. And it was just enough for the day. And if they tried to stash some away, it would go bad. And so God just provided for them daily. Like, that's that's where we pray, like, give us this day our daily bread, our daily manna. So God says to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. He's promising favor and provision and and the sight to see it. It's hidden manna, right? He's going to he's open our eyes to see the blessings that he's going to bestow upon us. And then the other thing they're promised, and this is my favorite promise in these letters. It's one that I have really been chewing on for, man, close to... Close to 15 years I've been chewing on this idea, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is a sign of adoption, right? We're being adopted into the family of the Lord. And when we're adopted, we're giving a new name, an identity that God sees in us that sometimes we don't even see in ourself. And it's a name that is between he and us. And I just think about, like, as a parent, like, there's things that I know about my children. There's things that I know about my daughters that They don't even know about themselves. And there's things that I see that even my wife doesn't see in them. And there's things that she sees that I don't see in them. Right. So it's this intimate relationship. And it's a thing where like I can speak truth into them by saying, hey, I noticed this about you and and empower them and name them in a way that is so unique and special that only the two of us can fully understand it, because it's that that personal, intimate relationship. And that's what God does for us, too. He has this personal, intimate relationship with us, and He sees things in us that oftentimes we can't even see, and nobody else can see. And He can look into our heart, and He can identify, this is who you are. This is who I created you to be, and this is who you absolutely are, whether you can see it or not. And so we're going to get that white stone with that new name that only we will know. And man, the reason I say I have been chewing on this for a decade and a half is every day I think I try to figure out what that is. I try to better understand who I am and who God created me to be in a way that I can just begin to scratch the surface of tapping into that. Because I think if I can, I think if I can I think if I can live into the things that God sees in me that I don't see into me, that I can accomplish incredible things for the kingdom. And so it this is like I I can't convey enough how like cool I think this promise is. It's absolutely my favorite one in all of these letters. So question number five, what can we learn from this letter to the church in Pergamum? One, I think uh, one thing we can glean is that we need to keep faith and keep our eyes on Jesus in spite of our surroundings. We have to uh, not let things dissuade us from what we know to be true, I think sometimes it's easy to muddle truth in your brain by letting outside influences uh, dictate to you what what is true and what isn't, rather than what you know. Right? This is uh, this is the the Indiana Jones um, and the the Last Crusade where he's standing. At this this gap, and there's there's this invisible bridge, and you have to t- and he has to take this step of faith um, before it will catch him and before it before it reveals itself to him. And I think that's a lot of ways. That's how I feel like faith in Christ is like. There's logic and and things would look at it and say like it's this is crazy. But what it is is our experience and our understanding of what God has—and knowing what God has done in our own lives and the seeing the results of it that make us know the truth. And not letting our eyes deceive us, right? Not letting our eyes deceive us that, that that bridge is not there, but taking that step of faith and understanding and believing that it will it will catch us. Number two, I think not letting culture dictate our values. And we talked a little bit about that already, but— um listen we 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 can have in God we trust on our money all we want we can we can say one nation under God in our pledge all we want um but I think I think it would be naive of us to not say that like despite what our culture may have been at one point in time we just don't live we live in an increasingly secular secularized culture we don't live in a culture anymore where Christian values are the default um, and it's sad but I also think like it's okay like I don't I don't expect people who don't believe what I believe to behave the way I behave like I don't expect that I want them to I want them to meet Jesus I want them to have a relationship with him and want to see the world through the lens I see it through but I don't expect them to until that happens right like I don't I don't expect people to just live their life in the way that I choose to live mine when they don't have the same beliefs that I have. Um, But I'm also aware of that, and I'm aware of the fact that just because somebody thinks something is okay, just because the culture tells me something is okay, I have to realize, too, they're they're not creating that culture through a Christian worldview. They're not creating the culture through intimate relationship with a heavenly Father. And so I can't let that culture then seep into what I know to be true. I can't let that culture dictate the things I decide are okay for me to participate in. So that's number two. And number three, I think is just to ask ourselves the question constantly, what is our true identity? What is that name on that white stone? Who are we called to be? What is the thing that God sees in us that sometimes we can't even see in ourselves? So, those are, the, those are the things I think I can glean. Again, I think you can tell this, the, the letter to Pergamum is one of my favorites because um, there's just so much meat here. And so I'm going to close us with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word, for these letters to these churches and what they can teach us today here in 2022, both as individuals and as a church. God, thank you for giving us the power to be able to maintain our beliefs and our values in the midst of the world we live in and help us to do that. Help us to have the strength and the mindset and keep our eyes focused on you so that we can sift through the noise to find the truth. And Father God, thank you for the fact that you offer us an identity that we can't even see on our own and help us to better realize who you've created us to be. We pray all these things in your name amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in this week. I'm so glad that you join us here, and I, I love hearing the feedback from the folks that are listening, saying how much this is really meant to them. Um, so so keep doing that. It's encouraging me to keep going. Um, join us next week as we turn to the church in Thyatira. And until next time, grace and peace to you all.